0: You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Freedom. Don't we love freedom? Yeah, I love freedom. Freedom is just something that is precious to us. We enjoy it until it's taken away from us, right? Probably got a better reaction if I'd have done it this way, right? America! Freedom! Freedom! The land of the free and the home of the brave, right? That's us. We as American citizens, we love our freedom and we love to stand on that freedom. And But when it comes to freedom, uh, I think of it in, in a lot of different ways. The birds, you know, they have a lot of freedom. It'd be cool to be able to fly, wouldn't it? And, um, until you crash landed, um, that would be bad. But, but a few years ago, Tracy and I went out West on vacation. You've heard me probably mention it before, but, but what we did on this is we made a a trip and we went to several of the national parks out there in Southern Utah. And, um, and when we went out there, we rented a convertible and, uh, I I don't know if it was a Mustang or a Camaro, whatever it was, it was a convertible. And it was just so freeing, you know, like in a convertible or being on a motorcycle. Isn't that just like one of the most freeing things? Tracy won't let me get another motorcycle, so I just had to, you know, rent the convertible. And the other thing about being out there is the speed limit was always like 80 or 85 miles an hour. And I love that. I don't know if you do or not, but I really enjoyed that. I'm not sure Tracy did, um, but I really Really enjoyed just being able to put the top down and drive 80 or 85, at least, <laughs> maybe 86 occasionally. Um, but but it's so cool. But with all of that freedom, there was a level of heightened responsibility. Because when you're driving that fast and when you got the top down on a convertible, but you don't want to roll over, right? You don't want to run off the road and roll over on one of those side, uh, down off the, one of those cliffs or whatever. And um, if you go through those small towns that pop up, you got to make sure that you slow down accordingly. Or when we get in traffic, like in some of the, the more scenic areas, there'd be more traffic and we'd have to slow down. We couldn't keep going 80 miles an hour. So with that freedom comes another level of responsibility. And we know that. Freedom does not come without some level of responsibility. And you gave that lecture to your teenagers, right, when they got their driver's license. You said, all right, you're reaching a new level of freedom, but with this driver's license and with these keys and with you driving away from this house on your own, there is a higher level of responsibility. And some of your kids did really, really well with that, and some of us did not do really, really well with that. We kind of push the limits, so to speak. But we know that. And as a matter of fact, Eleanor Roosevelt said this, freedom comes, freedom makes a huge requirement of every human being. With every freedom comes responsibility. And she knew that intuitively, that that with freedom, there comes a greater level of responsibility. When we think about what we're going to be studying over the next I blocked off six weeks for this study in the book of Galatians. It may go longer than that. It just depends on how this thing uh, begins to flesh out because there's so much in there that I want us to learn about what does freedom look like in Jesus Christ. We talk about that, but what does it mean? With, with that freedom, what type of responsibilities has God attached to? To that, with the freedoms that we have in Jesus Christ. And what exactly did Paul mean when he wrote in Ephesians 5, 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free? What did he mean by that? For freedom, Christ has set us free. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to study this letter, this epistle that Paul wrote, and we're gonna see what he meant by freedom, by this statement, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Because I don't believe it means this. I don't believe that it means that when you become a Christian and when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, now you can just go live and do whatever you want to do. I don't believe that that's what he meant at all by that. I think there was something else that, that was the tone and that was the letter, that, that, that was the, that what Paul was trying to get at when he said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And with the freedom, what kind of responsibilities come along with that for us as followers of Jesus Christ. So what I wanna to do today is lay a lot of foundational work here in the first chapter of Galatians. Why did Paul write this letter? Who did he write this letter to? Um, what was the tone of the letter behind what he wrote? And who are the people that he was writing about uh, in, in some of these first few verses? So the purpose of this letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia, it was to confront the false teaching or the false teachers' who were adding the law to grace and trying to enslave the Gentile Christians to an obsolete system. Now, let me explain that a little bit more. There was a group of false teachers, okay, that became known as the Judaizers. And we'll talk more about them in just a few moments. But Paul wrote this letter to confront the teaching of these Judaizers. And what they were doing is they were taking salvation by grace through faith, but they were attaching the law to that. They were, they were t- attaching the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, they were attaching that. So it was by grace through faith and works that they would come to a place of salvation and receiving salvation, but also they would say in keeping your salvation. But he said that in this, he was trying to get these Christians or these Judaizers were trying to get Christians to attach themselves to an obsolete system. And here's what the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who exactly who it was, but here's what the writer of Hebrews said. In speaking of a new covenant, Jesus spoke of this new covenant in his blood on the in the upper room. We talked about that on the our good Friday service when Jesus said this is the new covenant in my blood. So in speaking of a new covenant, he, Jesus, makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready vanish away now looking at that verse I think what the the writer of Hebrews was referring to that this vanishing away was referring to the old sacrificial ceremonial um, law that was going to be vanishing away with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD so whenever Hebrews was written this had not happened yet and so there was a, the, the old system. So to this day, once the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, um, after that, there has been no sacrificial system done or performed in, in Israel because that old system is obsolete. It is, it is vanishing away as the writer of Hebrews is saying. So that was the purpose. Now, the theme of Galatians is this, that we are saved by grace and we must live by grace, not by the law. And that's where we're going to kind of dive into just a little bit of why why did Paul feel like he needed to address this? Why did he say, why did he address the fact that we need to, we're saved by grace, now we need to live by grace and not in um, conjunction with or enslaved to the Torah, the Old Testament Torah. Law. Now, who was who was the Apostle Paul? You Maybe you're new to church, maybe uh, you haven't been coming along, or maybe you've heard his name all your life, and you've barely really known who the Apostle Paul was. Well, I got some bullet points for you just to kind of tell you who he was that wrote this letter, and he wrote most of the New Testament, several letters to churches and, and believers in the New Testament. But he was, first of all, a Jew who was born in Tarsus, okay? He was a Roman citizen, and he was highly educated under this guy, Gamaliel, Now, Gamaliel was a very, very, very intelligent teacher. As a matter of fact, he was well-known. He was a highly, highly, highly influential leader who was a part of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body or the kind of the Supreme Court, so to speak, of the day. And so he was a very, very powerful individual. And he was the one who... Educated many many people, he was attached to a university, so to speak, or a school that had been around for four hundred years. So anybody that was educated under him was kind of like received like a Harvard degree. They were highly respected, highly sought after, after, and many people listened to and were influenced by their teaching. And this was the Apostle Paul. He learned under Gamaliel, and he was very very well educated in the Torah, the Old Testament law. So anybody that had any um, right to address this group of people, Paul did because he knew from where they were coming from. And so with that, he was one of the primary or the primary missionary to the Gentiles uh, if you know the, the disciples, whenever they were received the Great Commission, they all just kind of hung around Jerusalem and Samaria, and some went down into uh, Galilee, down in that area. So they kind of hung around that area. But Paul, he did the three missionary journeys, and he went all over the Roman Empire. He really was the one who caused uh, Christianity to spread west. And so many would say that the reason we in America have Christianity so widespread is because the apostle Paul moved so far west in his missionary journeys. And then he ultimately died in prison in AD 68 prior to the destruction of the temple. And so this was Paul. And so he writes this letter to these churches in this region of Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. So that's kind of geographically where the, these churches were. Um, he wrote these letters to address a group of people who would come to be known as the Judaizers. The Judaizers. Now the Judaizers were Gentile Christians who had adopted Jewish customs. And and I know this is a lot of like historical information. Just just hang with me. It's all gonna make sense better in just a few moments. But what these, these Judaizers did is they started making their way into the churches and they were, they were called and they were preaching very strongly about the obligation to the law of Moses or the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 15, there's the um, Jerusalem Council that we have record that Luke wrote for us and kind of recorded what was going on in the Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council was the purpose of that was to address the Judaizers because the Judaizers were making it difficult for Gentile believers to come to Christ, because they were saying they needed to become Jew first before they could become Christian, so they had to observe the, the Torah, they had to be circumcised, and there were things. and And James comes along, he says, "Hey, we don't need to make it difficult for those Gentile believers to come to Christ." Matter of fact, we need to do away with the unnecessary roadblocks. And so Paul comes along, and who is an expert in the Torah, and he believed the same thing that they were t- talking about in the Jerusalem council, and this letter, I don't know if it was before or after the Jerusalem council, but it was addressing the same thing that Jerusalem council was addressing, and that was these Judaizers who wanted Gentiles, who if you're a non-Jew, you're a Gentile, said that we would have to observe Jewish law and Jewish customs in order to become a Christian. And Paul said, that's not the case. That is not what Jesus died for us to observe. So Paul comes to the rescue for the early church and for us today. He comes to the rescue by boldly defending the message of grace and saved the church from a cultish division. And this was a cultish division. This was a group of people who were taking the grace that that we are saved by grace through faith and they were adding works of the law to that. Not only just to receive salvation, but they were even attaching it to the way that you keep your salvation. So they were saying you have to observe the law in order to keep the salvation that you got by grace through faith in the first place. And so Paul begins to write this letter. And so we're going to begin reading it in Galatians chapter 1, verse 3. And here's what he said. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts out with the word that we all love, or in verse three, he says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us, to deliver us, to take us away from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and our father. And so he comes here and he's saying, I want to start this letter off establishing who I am but I want to tell you by grace and it is through this grace he says he says grace to you I want to give I want to pour out some grace on you because the letter that you're about to read you need some grace because he was about to let them have it as a matter of fact Paul avoids his normal little commendations that he you normally do he normally commends the church about how great they are and how faithful they've been this galatian letter did not have that He didn't because they, and we'll get into why he said it that way in just a moment. But through grace, I just want us to start out by understanding that through grace, we have been delivered from the penalty and the power of sin in our lives. Through grace, you have been, first of all, delivered from the penalty for the sin that you've committed. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took upon himself the penalty, the payment for the sins that you and I had committed. He paid a debt he did not owe, to pay a price you could never pay. So he died on the cross to receive the penalty for our sin, but through that same grace, we are no longer obligated, we're no longer enslaved to the power of sin any longer. So you can overcome sin through the power that comes through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and through what he did on the cross. And he goes on, he says in verse six, he says, now I'm astonished, I am blown away, I am flabbergasted. I really like that word. I'm flabbergasted that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He said, I cannot believe I was just there with you. So we kind of the tone. He was saying, I was just there talking to you about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I am just blown away by the fact that you're so easily influenced. That you would so easily run to this graceless system that the Judaizers are trying to impose upon you. I cannot believe that you would turn so quickly away from the grace of Christ. He made it so easy for you in a sense that he died, he paid the penalty and he poured his grace out on you. Now you're turning to the works of the law that I told you, you don't have to be bound to anymore. You're turning to a different gospel, a different version of the gospel that is not the gospel. He says, not that there is another one, another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. They wanna take the gospel of Christ and they wanna twist it. And they wanna add a a nuance to it that is not biblical. And what what these Judaizers were doing, and maybe you grew up in a religious system or familiar with a religious system, that they take maybe salvation by grace through faith, but they add the works to it. And you have to work to get it, or maybe you felt like you had to work to keep it. And so you would go through your life and the first thing you did wrong as a teenager, you had to go back and you had to get saved again. And then you grew up a little bit longer, and and a few sins kind of fell over, and you went, oh man, I got to get saved again. And you've been saved like seven or eight times because you have believed the wrong gospel. You believed a distorted gospel that is not a gospel that kind of, that is by grace through faith. You've added works either to get it or to keep it. And Paul is saying that is a distorted version of the gospel, and that's why he's writing this letter to the Galatian the Galatian churches. He says, but even if we, talking about his band of brothers that had been preaching the gospel, that had traveled with him, or even an angel. I mean, if an angel came down from heaven, if they should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you, let him be accursed. Off with his head, cut his tongue out, Damn him, he he just needs to be accursed because he's preaching a distorted gospel. Paul did not take this lightly and neither should we. This is something that we as followers of Jesus Christ who understand what the gospel is, we need to do everything that we possibly can to protect it. I get disturbed by people that will run to other churches and they are not doctrinally sound when it comes to this idea of salvation and what the true gospel is. And my goal as your pastor is to protect you from that. Because there is a movement today that is attaching Christianity to the Torah. They're attaching it to the first five books, to the law. They're Torah observant. And this is a dangerous, dangerous teaching that is growing and growing by popularity more and more. There are churches, po- churches, and I use that air quotes, popping up all over the place. They're home groups. And they're teaching that you as a Christian need to observe the Old Testament and the Torah. They're called Torah observant. And this is an old thing that's just being recycled again. There was a group that was out several years ago. Maybe you're familiar with them. They were called the Worldwide Church of God. And they were out several, not not the assemblies of God, the Worldwide Church of God or the church. That's what they were called. And they were, were the leader, his last name was Armstrong. It was kind of the thread called Armstrongism. And he was binding people to Old Testament, customs, feasts, the law, everything like that. And, and there was a big move for that. There was a big move toward that. And it kind of lost its energy. And now it's being recycled under a new group that, that's beginning gaining more and more popularity. And he's saying, if you listen to a gospel, even if an angel from heaven came down to preach, and he's going, this is how bizarre it is. If, they, if it comes down, let them be Because here's what I believe. And I believe scripture teaches it and we're gonna learn it more and more through Galatians. Any distortion of the gospel of grace deserves to be confronted and it deserves to be condemned. It needs to be confronted and it needs to be condemned and you need to be on the lookout for it because it's out there. And it is a distortion of the gospel and it is cultish. It is cultish. So be careful. Verse 10, he goes on. He says, For I am now seeking, or for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? He said, Here's the deal. There are some out there, Paul was saying, there were some out there that are accusing him of this idea, this easy believism, that all you gotta do is just go to the altar one day and pray and cry and receive Jesus and then go live any way that you want to. It doesn't matter. There are people who are accusing him of that. Even to this day, some of these movements that are going back to that Old Testament law will discredit Paul. Some of them even say that Paul was not a true apostle and they're discrediting him. So this this Judaizing um, group that was present way back in the region of Galatia in the early church It's still just showing back up over and over and over. There's nothing new under the sun. They're still around. And they would try to discredit Paul. And Paul is saying, don't let them try to discredit me because I'm not trying to please man. I am only out to try to please God because if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Because if anybody understood what it meant to die to yourself and live in bondage to Christ or, or enslaved to Christ, Paul knew that. Paul was that guy who had been um, shipwrecked. He had been snake bitten. He had been imprisoned. He had been beaten. And as we saw, ultimately, he died in prison at, a, at an older age. And so Paul understood what it meant to not go along with an easy believer. He understood what it meant to, to die is gain, to live as Christ, to die is gain. He died to himself, and he taught us that. As well. So Paul knew that he was not trying to push this easy believism. He goes on, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. He's saying, this gospel, it came from God Himself. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was on his way to Damascus and he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what made someone an apostle. They had to have an encounter with the risen Christ. And Paul was one of those men who did. And so he saw the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and he was converted radically. And he's saying the gospel that I'm sharing came from God himself. And he wanted these believers, these Galatian believers to know that the gospel is life changing. It's life changing. And he wanted to share with them how the gospel had changed his life by sharing his own gospel story. So he jumps into that in verse 13. He says, for you have heard of my former life, what I was like, my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. He says, listen, some of you have heard what I used to be like. You heard that that I was the guy that was responsible for moving around the region of Jerusalem and I would go to these churches or I'd go to these home churches and I would go in and pull Christians out and they would be persecuted. Some of them stoned. As a matter of fact, the stoning of the first martyr in the book of Acts was Stephen and Paul was present. Those, those others, the ones who stoned Stephen, they laid their coats at Paul's feet while they stoned him. So this is the guy, this is the former life that Paul had. And he wanted them to know, you've heard about my former life, that I was a chief persecutor of the church. And listen, you, you may have a former life also. You may have a life that you would say, man, my life is not anything for me to be proud of. I'm very ashamed of my past. And listen, Paul's saying, that's me. That's me. I've got this former life that I am not proud of and my reputation precedes me. People know about my Former life, he says, how I was advancing in Judaism under Gamaliel. He was learning so much beyond many of my own age. So I was smarter than anybody else. He said, in my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. He says, I was, I was the in class. I sat on the front row. I took the most notes. I aced every test. I knew it all, and I was zealous to get out there and persecute. Christians, I was the one who was ready to see the Christians stoned. That was my former life. I was zealous about it, and he took that same zeal and he took it into his call into Christianity or his call by Jesus Christ. He said this, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, he said, "Whenever he called me, this this conversion and this commission, when this happened." Was, I was pleased to reveal, or he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. So he's saying that all of this zeal and everything that he had, and I've, I heard a preacher one time say that, that uh, whenever Jesus gave that great commission in Matthew chapter 28, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And all the disciples just kind of hung around Jerusalem. I mean, some of them went down to Samaria, you know, Philip went down to Samaria and some of them into Galilee and and that surrounding area, but they didn't go into all the world. And and this preacher said that maybe maybe it's like in heaven, God said, hey, you know, those guys that you commissioned, they're they're really not doing a good job of going into all the world. How about this guy? And Jesus would look at God and say, you mean Paul? Yeah, he's pretty zealous. We might be able to use that guy. No, man, you see what he's doing to all the Christians? He's beating them and persecuting them and stoning them. Yeah, we could use that kind of zeal on our team, and so they call Paul out, and he and, and converts him, and and that's that's not what happened, but but that's the zeal that he had. He was one who who went. So Paul, after he's converted, he goes immediately into the the region known as Arabia or Damascus, and he starts spreading the gospel. He spends his time in prayer and learning more from God and, and, and growing his new faith that he's found in Jesus Christ. And he waited a full three years before he went back to Jerusalem. And when he went there, he spent about 15 days with Peter and James comparing notes, He's like, this is what God showed me. And they were going, yeah, that's exactly what Jesus was teaching us. And so they were comparing notes and and Paul became more zealous for the gospel than he even was for Judaism. And he said this, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. I was still unknown. There were churches in Judea that didn't know who I was. They had never met me personally. He said, they were only hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. He said, my reputation has already gotten there. They know what I used to be like. They know that I met the risen Jesus, and now they know that once a persecutor, now a preacher of the gospel. Once a persecutor of the church, now a preacher in the church. God had radically changed Paul's life, and he was using him. And he said, as a result, they glorified God because of me. As a result of this change, as a result of my radical conversion from the persecutor to the preacher, they are now glorifying God because of me. And he uses this first chapter to just share his radical, life-changing story to glorify God. And some of you have a radical story of conversion that glorifies God because of what he called you out of, because of what he delivered you from, the bondage of sin to the freedom in Christ that you now realize. And so Paul went from attacking the church to a source, to astonishing the church. So he became an astonisher of the church. And so Paul's life demonstrated the power of the gospel. And so today, as we just kind of lay the groundwork Lay the foundation. It's the gospel that changes lives, not the law. It's by grace through faith that you become a follower of Jesus. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by being baptized. It's not even by showing up to church. It's not by doing a checklist and saying, God, I got all of this done today. Am I in good favor with you? No, it's not about that. Salvation is by grace, through faith alone in Jesus Christ, nothing else. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Jesus Christ died so that you could receive it. And that's all you have to do. There are no works attached to it. And the Judaizers want to attach works to it. They want you to observe that and want to somehow attach your faith to works in order to receive salvation or keep your salvation. Don't buy into it. It's by grace through faith alone, and some of you can celebrate that today because you still can't measure up to what you thought the standard was. The standard is receiving Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, trusting Him, believing in Him, trusting what He did for you on the cross. There's nothing else. So, we and here's some questions for you. When have you ever felt like or felt? Like more freedom required more responsibility. Maybe it was in your driver's license, maybe when you moved out of the house, whatever it might've been, when you moved to college, how did that happen? How has the gospel impacted your life? And would anyone be astonished because of the gospel's impact on your life? And in what way would that be? Who would be astonished by the change that has taken place? It may not be as radical as Paul's was, but it's radical enough because you were delivered from death to life, from slavery to freedom through Jesus Christ. And so today, if you've never received Jesus, if you've tried to make it all about works, we'd love to talk to you more about that. Join us back in the VIP room, meet us right here at the altar, and we would love to talk to you more about that. So let's all stand together. Father, we're so thankful today that Jesus paid it all He paid a debt we could never pay. And Lord gave us a gift of salvation. And so today, if we have either consciously or subconsciously tried to add works to that, forgive us, forgive us for making your death of little power, no power. We thought we could do it on our own. So today, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior, it's my prayer that they would receive you. In Jesus' name.